This morning is a special day. It's a special day for the life of Foothill Bible Church as we officially recognize our brother Luke Ree as he completed his ordination exam with excellence. And the elders of Foothill Bible Church are commending him publicly as an ordained minister of the gospel. Mike asked me to preach this morning's message, and while I hope that it directly applies to our brother Luke, I pray that it applies actually to each of us in knowing how to pray for Luke, pray for the ministers of the gospel, including myself, and so join me as I lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth for the next several minutes bring forth exhortation and encouragement, not only to our brother Luke, but to all of us as we look at the pastor's essential duty for the sake of Christ and for the building of your church, we ask. Amen. You know, during the past several months, our nation and community have been eyewitnesses to many dramatic events. And many people are troubled by the prospect that the normal way of life is threatened. And so while in one sense, as followers of Christ, we know Jesus' words in John 16, that I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. As followers of Christ and God's word, I trust that there's a calm assurance that despite the troubling news that threaten the church today, God is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. But it seems more apparent that the need for good leadership is essential at a time where there are so many conflicts, there's much confusion has set in, and this lack of clarity and the lack of purpose results in the loss of hope. And I call it the fog of war. It's not an original expression, but we see that Um, We certainly are in a war on many fronts, ideologically, politically, but most importantly, spiritually. I think of this quote from this one German military analyst who wrote this a couple hundred years ago. He says, quote, war is the realm of uncertainty. Three quarters of the factors on which the action of war is based, they're wrapped in a fog of greater or lesser uncertainty. And it requires a sensitive and discriminating judgment is called for a skilled intelligence to send out the truth, close quote. In other words, let me translate this. Good leadership requires the ability to rise above the circumstances, to see clearly and to lead others in the right direction. And that is what the Apostle Paul seeks to instruct the new pastor, Timothy, for the church in Ephesus. Remember this fellowship in Ephesus? In Acts 20, Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, 
He tells the Ephesian elders there in verse 20, Paul says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to verse 27 and says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that in my departure fierce woes will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying is you guys are in a hostile place where there are people in the church seeking to divide and conquer through what kind of warfare? Through teaching and speaking and their lips really reveal their unbelieving hearts. So fast forward and we see the Paul see the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy providing instructions about pastoral leadership. And Paul concludes with these last two verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And that is what I want to focus. So if you open your copy of God's Word, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm just going to focus on the last two verses there. It says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This morning, we will look at three essential duties of a pastor in order for him to remain a faithful and effective servant of God. And yes, I am directing it to my brother Luke here, but it's an exhortation to all of us to that just hold us, holding us accountable that we would be keeping focus, the pastor's essential duty. And so number one, be attentive to God's assignment. You find there, O Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Oh, Timothy. Paul's pleading personally with passion to Timothy. He's communicating. Listen up. Listen up, Timothy. Pay, please pay attention, Timothy. Just a few verses earlier, Paul said in verse 11, Oh, man of God. So what's the context? Paul has warned Timothy several times already since he was installed to be the pastor at Ephesus. Ephesus, that cosmopolitan and immoral city, much kind of like L.A., um, that was famous for the temple of Artemis or Diana, and it was filled with many temple prostitutes. We have another version, but I won't go there. In this first letter to Timothy, Paul gave him specific instructions on various issues related to caring 
for church. In the first chapter, Paul gives instructions about false doctrine. In the second chapter, Paul gives direction concerning worship and the duties of men and women in worship. The third chapter there, Paul gives direction concerning leadership and qualifications of elders and deacons. In the fourth chapter, Paul focuses again on the dangers of false teaching and the importance of doctrine and priorities in ministry. In the fifth chapter, Paul gives direction about the different groups in the church, the young, the widows, and the role of elders. In the sixth chapter, Paul instructs Timothy about his pastoral duties and the importance of godly contentment. So what does it mean? What does it mean to guard the deposit? Paul uses the word guard, elasso, to keep it, to, to, to keep, to guard closely. What? The deposit. The Greek word parateke, just this entrustment. It literally means to hand over for safekeeping. You've been entrusted with this. Keep it safe there. It means you are to uphold what has been given to you, not your own ideas or your opinions. You, you received a gift, an entrustment by which you are to defend. You learn because someone deposited it to you. This was not a private revelation, but a public tradition that has been handed to you. You are not giving new revelation but God's special revelation. You are a follower of Christ, not an original author or a leader of new truth. You've been entrusted with this treasure. Guard it. Paul already told Timothy there in chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul has already given his orders in, to Timothy a little bit later there in, in verse 18 of chapter 1. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among those, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Timothy, guard against the teachings that oppose or undermine or lead people away from the gospel. Why? Paul tells Timothy later there in chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect 
the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on that doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Heavy stuff. Paul reminds Timothy, not only in this letter, 1 Timothy, but he reminds him again in the second letter. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe. I am convinced that God is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Guard, God will guard me. Why? Because you see there in the next, in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Paul, Paul saying to Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You ever wonder why? Ever wonder why some ministers not guard the deposit entrusted to them? You know, the lack of attention and care, the lack of training perhaps, the lack of proclaiming means that you buried that treasure, the word of God, rather than invest this life-giving treasure to the next generation. You will be held, it says, James tells us, let not many among you be teachers. Why? Because you will instruct a stricter gut judgment. And that's found in James chapter 3. Our compromise, our efforts, I'm talking about men who are in ministry who don't preach the word, who are not faithful to the word of God. Our compromise, our efforts to repackage or reinvent God's most precious treasure is to presume Listen to this. It's to presume upon your wisdom more than God's wisdom. And be careful. Be careful. Guard this treasure. I think of Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You know, burying this treasure is wicked and slothful. Jesus says that person is a worthless servant. Paul's exhortation to another pastor in Titus he writes there in Titus 1.9, an elder, a teacher, a pastor, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Be reminded that this deposit, this treasure, this gospel, is God, it's God's message it's the only message that needs to be declared and proclaimed. But, you know, the world thinks it's kind of, it's foolish. It's, oh man, that's, that's so old. That's so, it, it's irrelevant. But Paul r reminds even the church in Corinth, he writes there in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, that for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. 
You know, being a pastor, you're, you're kind of a marked man. I think of Jesus' words to his disciples in Mark 13, verse 9. He says, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over. He's saying this to his disciples. I will, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. But, you know, there may be trials, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen to my brother Luke. I, I hope not. Um, or any minister of the gospel. But there is a certain reality of that. Uh, because we see from the early on, I think of the Apostle Paul. He sets an example of, of a persevering, we call it an indomitable spirit. If you open to Acts chapter 14, we kind of see a window of what that looks like. In Acts chapter 14, as Luke records the account there of the church growing, it says there in verse 19 of chapter 14 that Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Brother Luke, fulfill your ministry. Paul's last words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 5, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths but as for you always be sober minded enduring suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry in my opinion <clears throat> one of the greatest tragedies for a pastor is to neglect the duty of guarding the doctrines of the church I came across this quote from uh, a pastor who's now with the Lord, uh, John Stott. He once wrote, quote, Is it possible that the neglect of this ministry confronting doctrinal error is one of the major causes of theological confusion in the church today? Close quote. I would agree with that. When a pastor fails to bring forth the word of God and the doctrines of the church, just continually being, guarding that truth. When they fail, there's confusion. I think of the book of Ezekiel. When you think in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 3 and also chapter 33, God instructs the prophet, I have appointed you to be a watchman. A watchman is like a pastor. Or shepherd. He is to watch over in order to warn the people of incoming danger. 
Failure in this duty meant that the watchman was ultimately responsible and would bear the blame. Guard the deposit entrusted to you has a similar weight of responsibility because the stakes are high. Failure to guard the entrustment means failure to warn people of the judgment to come. It's a failure to provide an opportunity to escape, which escape from the wrath of God. They don't know how. If you don't provide that Jesus is the only means to escape from the wrath of God to come, if you don't declare that only hope, the only means that by which we can have access to heaven, to have eternal life, to have life, you have not, you have not only failed as a watchman, you have failed your people. You have failed and accountable, leading men and women to judgment. You know, and that means the loss of people's eternal soul. If that doesn't weigh heavily on you, that means you have a heart of stone. You don't have a heart of flesh. Luke you must guard the deposit entrusted to you. So the pastor's essential duty, first of all, be attentive to God's assignment for himself. So how does he guard this treasure? Point number two, avoid distractions. You see there in the second part of verse 20, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Avoid. Ectrepo means to turn away. Don't get involved. Turn off course, off that course. Paul already had told Timothy earlier in chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Turn away. And, <clears throat> or avoid what? Paul describes four descriptive words there. He says irreverent means pointless, worthless, impure. From irreverent babble, what is babble? Means empty talk, chatter. Turn away from contradictions. That means oppositions or resistance to what God has already revealed. When people are talking things that are opposed to what God has revealed, just avoid them. Don't, And then he gives the fourth descriptive, falsely called knowledge. The idea of new information that undermines God's word. You see this happening all the time. Oh, God spoke to me. Oh, this is new, a new way of looking things of the scriptures. That is not your call, pastor, to bring in new thoughts. You are, to be, you are entrusted with something that is precious. Don't blow it by trying to give your new ideas. Why is Paul so emphatic on this matter? Verse 21 says, For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. You know, these four areas of distractions are death traps. They have left damning and damaging results. Defecting the faith leads to eternal consequences. And Paul states this in his second letter again. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 and 18, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead 
people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. I've already made reference to James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, lest you incur a stricter judgment. Why? Because he says, Brother James says that this is not the wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly, unspiritual. It's demonic. That's where that source comes from. Luke, I'm saying Brother Luke here, not the book of Luke. Avoid godless chatter, empty talk, teachings contrary to what God has revealed about himself, his character, his purposes. Tampering with God's message is operating under Satan's tactics because he is the father of lies. You know, today, the redefining of sin is really rebellion against God and attacking his credibility that what he has identified as sin is complete. He, God has made it clear of what is sin. And so it's not systemic oppression or the loss of some privilege or perceived slight or being a victim. God has made clear what is sin and what is not. Be careful. Be careful of ones being trained in schools that ultimately oppose the gospel. I like uh, this passage in Deuteronomy 29. We often quote it when we don't know, you know, um, the first part of Deuteronomy 29. When you don't know what to say, the secret things belong to the Lord. But, you know, the second part of that is real critical. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the, this law. You know, God has made his will and his word very clear. And we don't want to mess it up. In other words, God's word is sufficient that the man of God may be complete. That means each one of you may be complete, equipped for every good work. So have nothing to do with controversies. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. It just creates infighting there. Paul tells Timothy, he says, avoid, avoid such people. He tells us again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid, avoid such people. Paul instructs another pastor, may have mentioned it already in Titus, just that 
He says in chapter 3 of Titus, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. That's very clear. Have nothing to do with him. And we can apply that ourselves. I like what one pastor a few hundred years ago, again, Charles Spurgeon said, quote, the Bible is not a compilation of clever allegories or instructive poetic traditions. It teaches literal facts and reveals tremendous realities. Let your full persuasion of this truth be manifest to all who attend your ministry. Close quote. I think of the wisdom of Proverbs. Solomon says, Answer not a fool. This is found in Proverbs 26. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. God's revelation is to be declared, not debated. Preach the gospel and not engage in public debate. Proclaim Christ. Recognize that these days are times of departure and defection. Again, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 there that the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will. It's so sad. And you, you already know this. The coronavirus just reveals people's priorities too. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul warns later in chapter 6 to Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree, agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is what? He is puffed up with conceit and understands what? Nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Again, the pastor's essential duty be attentive to God's assignment. Second, avoid distractions. Third, always acknowledge it is all of God's grace. Grace be with you. That simple phrase, you see that written by Paul several times. Grace be with you. Grace be with you acknowledges the following. It was graced Listen, all of you listen to this. It was grace that caused you to believe. It was grace to be born again to a living hope, to be his child, to understand the spiritual things of God, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be justified by faith, to be part of God's body, the church, to be assured that nothing can separate us from the love of God, 
to be chosen before the foundation of the world, to be heirs of eternal life. That's all of God's grace. Don't ever, don't ever lose sight that you are the recipient of his grace. It is the gift of God and not of your doing or good works. In other words, apart from Christ, brother, you can do nothing. And that, neither can I, neither can you, apart from Christ. John Piper, another pastor, writes, quote, when the word has been spoken, what counts is the presence of God with us by his spirit confirming the word, illuminating the word, begetting faith by the word, empowering deeds taught in the word. It's the spirit of Christ that stays with us and applies grace to us. Close quote. Luke, I beg of you, guard the deposit entrusted to you. I think of this time in India um, when we were serving in India during our ministry time there. One of the most powerful living examples for me was a, a missionary couple from Japan. Well, what was unique about this couple is that the wife was Korean and the husband was Japanese. She heard the gospel in Korea and became a missionary to the, to the Japanese people. She married a Japanese man who was a former karate champion. And they were sent out by a local church in Japan to bring forth the gospel to Indian nationals. You know what's amazing about this story is that Japan was a wicked oppressor of the Korean peoples for many decades. But the grace of God prevailed since the gospel was preached and many Koreans responded to the gospel and were followers of Christ and these Korean brothers and sisters what they did intentionally and sacrificially they served among their enemies the Japanese and oppressors the Japanese were brutal they were wicked but these new believers followers of Christ they didn't wallow in their previous pain, but they saw the sovereignty of God and the power of the gospel. And they went to Japan to proclaim Christ. And that couple, this couple, was then sent to India. And that was unpre unprecedented. I, it was just, it floored me to meet this couple and here is a former karate champion, national champion, and, and they're serving in the slums near this railway station, first learning the language. And I just saw the power of God through the gospel. Never forget that only the gospel message brings forth reconciliation, redemption, as well as change of people's hearts to love Christ and tell others of the good news. You see, leaders are made, not born. Recently, I read the portions of the biography of another pastor. 
His name is J.C. Riles, one of my heroes of the faith. He wrote some significant books, and I'd highly recommend them. Uh, Duties of Parents, Thoughts for Young Men, and Holiness. He was a pastor in England during a time where he saw the decline of godly leaders in the church. He said, quote, we want more boldness among the friends of truth. There's a far too much tendency to sit still and wait for committees and number our adherents. We want more men who are not afraid to stand alone. It is truth, not numbers, which shall always in the end prevail. We have the truth. And we need not be ashamed to say so. The judgment day will prove who is right. And to that day, we boldly appeal. Close quote. Brother Luke, preach Christ. May it be said of you. And Luke, when he came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For Luke decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Luke was with the people in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And his speech and his message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. May God help you. May God enable you to be one who stands faithful, faithful to the end.